0: None of this is possible. Three places, same time. Three me's, three doctors, same doctor. Maybe conversion plate removal, the same moment as contact with Swarm.
1: So, Adam, we've come to the end of the six-part flux, and I have one question. Who are the Vanquishers? (laughs) (laughs) yeah right like
0: i guess at the end of the story is the vanquishers the Centaurans, as they led themselves to be or led themselves to believe are the vanquishers the umpteen different individuals that we see band together to defeat (laughs) whatever is going on in this episode um yeah who who are the vanquishers aaron who Who are are the the
1: vanquishers and who are the vanquished who are the vanquished yeah, not a the the titles have been pretty straightforward, but this one is a little bit more abstract.
0: Yeah, it, I I agree. I think you could take it multiple multiple different ways. I think there's definitely characters who viewed themselves as the vanquishers until everything went south on them.
1: <laughs> well, we've been talking it we're talking about it, you know, about sticking the landing. We're gonna have to make that call at some point, or at least our opinions on it. We're not we're not the uh, you know ultimate call on it. You know, everybody has their opinion, but but we'll have two opinions about if they stuck the landing or not. Uh, we don't have to say it right now, but you know that's that we are gonna have to like make that call at some point.
0: Oh, so, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying it right now. We'll definitely make the call. We'll we'll have to by the end of this episode. I'm just sitting here grinning with my hand over my mouth. So you can <laughs> you can feel free to uh, start talking, and I'm going to um, follow along with wherever the discussion may lead.
1: Well, I said that when we review this episode that I'm going to have to watch it at least like three times before we talk about it. I, you know, life gets in the way. I didn't have a chance to do that. So I did watch it twice. And first time, just kind of watched it, you know, without any interruption. Second time, paused a lot. <laughs> you know, just because, you know, I like to take notes. I like to, you know, so I'm pausing, I'm rewinding, I'm making sure I have the quotes right. Did I really hear that correctly? you know that that type of thing. So I've had a chance to see it twice. Uh definitely glad I watched it a second time. I think there was there was a need for for that. Oh, absolutely. My you know, I will say that I will tell you one opinion on if they stuck the landing or not. And that was my wife's opinion. Because she watched it just once as it aired, you know, or maybe not as it aired. We we were on a little bit of a delay on our DVR, but she at the end of it was like, "Yeah, I didn't like that." And I was, like, <laughs> I was like, why not? She's like, because I didn't really understand what was going on the whole time, <laughs> you know. Uh, um, and I I, I kind of felt the same way through a bunch of it. I felt like I was missing some details or maybe I didn't hear something right and knew that I would need a second watch. But for people that don't typically do that, people that just want to watch it once and kind of understand this is sometimes Doctor Who is not the show for those kind of people. You know, I think it, it does take a a certain type of watcher somebody who does want to be a little bit more involved in the story and kind of seek out the behind the scenes videos you know to so get a little bit more explanation from the creators or it's especially this this season is not the type of show where you can just watch an episode once get what you need and move on
0: i mean i i wholeheartedly agree that's there's i think there's definitely episodes that you can do that and we've mentioned them in the past where you have friends over or you're looking to introduce people to the show there's definitely episodes that you can just be let, you you can just put on um, they're fun to watch you don't need a whole heck of a lot of context just kind of like the main thrust of doctor who who the character is and what they're what they're doing most of the time that said there's definitely episodes and you're spot on this series series 13 these six episodes the flux um, the flu- the chapters of the flux are not those episodes. the The entire series is is based off of a, an idea, a concept that got introduced in series 12. So you, you kind of have to have that context to move forward. And then to build off of that, there is a lot of things in each of these episodes where it's like, uh, you, you you feel like you have to pause, you have to pay attention, you have to rewind, you have to check show notes, you have to do a little bit more just to make sure that you are on the right track about what's going on. Um, as far as watching the, this episode, my experience was a little bit panic-inducing. I don't know <laughs> if anybody else out there is, is, is using the season pass for iTunes or not, but I woke up fully expecting to be able to watch this episode, and it was not available, It was only made available to me this morning, which was a little nerve-wracking. So I had to find some creative ways over the past two days uh, to watch watch this episode. And then my wife's opinion on it was that it was utterly confusing, and she had no idea what was going on. And it was super short. And the reason being is that she walked into the room with 10 minutes left (laughs) and thought that was the entire episode.
1: Yeah, that doesn't count.
0: Yeah, she was a little out in the. uh, She was a little um, not entirely sure what was going on and why it just ended so abruptly. Um, But yeah, uh, we'll 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 discuss our overall feelings towards the end.
1: And they tried this kind of experiment of doing a six part season. And although I like the concept, the the rewatchability is not going to be there because it's not like you're going to just pick up one of these episodes and watch it. On its own, because they're also connected, and so, like, if I ever want to go back and be like, "Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of in the mood to watch some jody Whittaker Doctor this this season," I feel like I won't be rewatching because it doesn't have the standalone kind of rewatchability that a lot of Doctor Who does, where you can just kind of grab an episode and kind of watch it for fun. So uh, maybe the the Angel story, just because that one does kind of feel almost like a, a set aside story, but other than that they all are very connected which you know in some ways is good you know for storytelling and in other ways is you know harder to to watch later
0: yeah i i agree as far as your your thought as the rewatchability interconnected stories are always so rough right especially i mean we've done in the past with previous seasons ranking of episodes i think to some uh-huh. extent we can still rank these episodes But it's a heck of a lot harder because they're so interdependent on each other. Um, Anytime we have a multi-episode story, it's always hard to figure out, like, oh, do you keep these together? Do you separate them? Are we quality of story or quality of episode itself? How do you go? The the Village of Angels, I feel like that is one that you could probably – jump into just because of the nature of the story itself um there's a lot in there that's just fun to watch without the surrounding context maybe the war on the centaurians with uh the the jump back to the crimean war i think there's aspects of that that could be rewatchable. but yeah the rest of it is very much interconnected and i feel like if you're watching one of them you probably are going to want to start at the beginning and work your way back through uh, back through all of them but it's I, I I heard I read that there was some some hope some expectation that this would harken back to some of the class, classic series where you would have the six part mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know if it if it's necessarily in that vein this feels very very unique in uh, the in relation to the stories of Doctor Who that at least I've I've watched or I've been made aware of over the years.
1: Yeah, I could see the similarities because it's much more like Classic Who in that way than it would be Modern Who. You know, we've gotten our three parters in Modern Who. Uh, usually not much more than that. You know, interconnected story throughout season, but usually episodes tend to stand alone. Yeah. Uh, whereas, yeah, in Classic Who, you know, we've watched through some of that. You know, where you'd have like 14 episodes that were all part of one story and it was almost like too much. Like, oh my gosh, can you please just stop? Um, So, yeah, I could see why that comparison would be made because, um, you know, at least in the first couple doctors that we've watched, that did seem to be the way that they did it.
0: Yeah, there's there's a comparison, but I feel like the pacing is entirely different. It's
1: a different, you know, modern storytelling just... It's completely different than absolutely that classic stuff. Where that classic stuff seemed to kind of drag a bit. I could never say that any of these episodes felt like (laughs) felt slow. You know, it was always it was almost too much going on, so fast paced, so much to keep track of, and you know, yeah, so different for sure.
0: Yeah, classic. Who had a lot of breathing room (laughs) on set in the episode. In the story, there was a lot of space between everything that was going on. Um, I distinctly remember some episodes where it literally was almost an entire open space of the TARDIS with the Doctor standing at the console having a dialogue with himself or a monologue with himself.
1: You don't Wait, wasn't that have Capaldi? that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he definitely had some though you're right, you're
1: right he had he had a few of those moments yeah this
0: uh, series though had none of that right like there was no breathing room everything was jam packed um, packed to the gills with characters with yeah. uh, story elements with motion with movement um, there, was, there was no breathing room in these episodes at all
1: and if maybe Chibnall heard our complaints that the doctor wasn't getting enough screen time in Jodie run, because <laughs> he made three of her this time, so we got no lack of the Doctor from, uh, in this episode. But we'll—I think—we'll just uh, jump into the the episode review and start talking about it. We got a lot to talk about, and I know our our Bad Wolf Radio episodes have have been running pretty long this this season. They've been pretty
0: of, darn long because folks. of the
1: complexity, which I'm sure we have listeners that appreciate, you know, the extra time that they can listen to us, but and some that probably don't. <laughs> I was gonna
0: say, and I appreciate those you those listeners that spend the extra time listening to us.
1: I don't know when I listen to some of my favorite podcasts, I am always a little sad when it ends. So you know, when it's extra some extra bonus time, it's always nice. Awesome. Um. All right, so this one literally, The Vanquishers, literally picks up where the last one left off, like right away. You have the you have uh, swarm saying. Uh, it's the doctor's turn to get the face touch. And we think that maybe the doctor is going to find a, a bitter end like um, Tektoon did. But the doctor does a nice little duck move and, you know, ducks under his arm and runs away.
0: Yeah. Great, great sidestep. And honestly, if you think back through the series, this is pretty much how episode two, episode three, episode four and episode five started, right? You have the cliffhanger at the end of the episode, and then immediately there's resolution, and you aren't left to wonder about, oh, wh- what's going on? How did this end? There's always some sidestep. There's always some immediate resolution to what we thought was going to be a devastating situation based on the ending of the previous episode. So are we surprised that the doctor sidesteps? Probably not for multiple reasons.
1: Um, but yeah,
0: we, we pick up right where we left off.
1: Yeah. And I I mean, Swarm, from what we see that happens throughout the episode, we, you know, he had plans for her. He wasn't going to kill her. Right. You know, he was going to he was going to mess with her. And that's what he's he's been doing all along. So uh, there was never the intention. But she does she does duck the touch. And then basically the Ood is now like team doctor. Uh, He made (laughs) a quick switch. You know, he's like, all right, my my old boss is gone. This this doctor's telling me what to do. I'm just going to do it. So she's like, "Ooh, you're with me," and he just kind of goes along with it.
0: Yep he uh, he goes to the next uh, Gallifreyan in the plan.
1: Yeah. So at the same time, uh, they they show us Yaz and Dan Williamson. They're they were in the tunnels, and the Centaurans were were attacking them, uh, coming through the doors. Um, and so we get to see Yaz having some pretty sweet rope lasso skills.
0: And she, she picked that up somewhere along the way.
1: Yeah, yeah, probably in their their travels, you know, when they were trying to find this information that she she learned how to do this. But she she lassos one of the doors, pulls it open, and then it releases, you know, whatever bad stuff that's going on in there, which in this case was some sort of electric shock just starts coming through the door.
0: The, and, the rays of death.
1: Yeah. Which when I think of rays of death, I think of like laser beams, you know. Yeah, so this is more absolutely. like like Emperor Palpatine shock stuff.
0: Oh, I totally like rays of death. I thought, oh, there's Daleks behind that door. I was totally uh, wrong. It's just like red lightning.
1: No Daleks yet. No Daleks. <laughs> so yeah, they um, it, it you know conveniently disables the Santarans, but doesn't kill any of them.
0: Yeah, hits them directly on the port on the back of their neck. Very <laughs> convenient.
1: It did show it did made it a, make a point to show that it was hitting in in that spot. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the know, camera work.
0: Exactly.
1: It's funny. Just in case you were wondering, you know, for for you skeptics out there, we did make sure it hit the back of their their heads.
0: Yep, their armor is too strong. It has to be the one weak point.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know, do you want to stick with stick with Yaz and williamson and dan for a bit before we jump back to the other stuff
0: yeah sounds good let's just keep rolling with this crew
1: all right so so they're trying to find a door that they can get out of um they you know they think okay where can we where can we get out of here um and they find a door that can take them to 20 to like the modern times 2021 right yeah and this is where they bump into so they're they're still in the tunnels, but now they're back in modern time, and they they bump into Kate Stewart, and she has the TARDIS with her. So I'm trying to think of like how she has the TARDIS, but I guess it doesn't really matter. I'm so you pointed out that
0: in the whole uh, Prentice Unit um, scenes that we had from the previous episode, Unit was in possession of the TARDIS, right? From 1967, right. I guess at some point, Kate took possession of it or they stored it down in the tunnels, right? It's another instance of how did they move the TARDIS? How does the TARDIS just randomly get moved around to wherever they need it at this point? But sure enough, back on December 5th, 2021, Kate had it in the tunnel, in Liverpool, nonetheless.
1: Right. And we I mean, I w- we wouldn't think that she has any access to fly it, right?
0: No, I, I'm, I don't think she has access at first at first watch I was like oh this just so happens to be a tunnel with a storage facility for unit but the more that I thought about it uh, it's it's just Williamson's tunnels right
1: yeah yeah well maybe we should okay I know I said to stick with them but I think we do need to lead up to at least the event of the doctor splitting <laughs> uh, because that that kind of is important because everything does kind of split apart and there are a few different storylines going on at the same time but It all, it kind of, you have to kind of give the backstory of how that happens. So the doctor's back on the, um, you know, division's headquarters or whatever and with the Ood. And she's asking the Ood, like, what would happen if she took the conversion plate off? And the Ood's like, oh, well, you would get pulled back into the universe, of course. And the doctor's saying, well, I kind of need to get back to the, you know, my universe so I can find my TARDIS. Right, um, and so she's she's trying to have the Ood figure out or locate the Tardis, so then I guess she she can decide when she wants to pull the conversion plate off, and then I guess the Ood's going to kind of help direct her, you know, to the right place. I mean, they they don't give a ton of explanation of how it's going to work, but she's I basically say, trying to get pulled back into the universe to where the Tardis is.
0: Right, you're making you're making a lot of uh, logic leaps, which. Honestly, we're, we're kind of left to do in this this spot because in the frenetic motion of the different scenes of this episode, it, it, the story just moves forward. So at this point in time, it's like we know two things. Doctor has a conversion plate, mm-hmm. and Doctor needs to get to the TARDIS. And by removing the conversion plate, hopefully you just somehow show up at the TARDIS. And that's what we're banking on at this point in time, right? Um, the Ood might be able to spot the TARDIS, but we're never getting given any indication on how TARDIS, Ood and Doctor all interplay together.
1: Yeah. The Ood apparently has some, some Gallifreyan training, um, is versed in the, you know, the location of Gallifreyan items. You know, I'm just, I'm just making all this up. (laughs) That's, you know, that's the only way it makes sense, right? Like. He, who knows how long this Ood has been in the service of, of division and how much education he has on these things it could be you know some genius scientist that you know knows how to locate tardises and knows how to send people through through universes so they can go to the right tardis you know so yeah we just have to assume that um, and so when the doctor is trying to make this escape uh, swarm and Azure kind of walk in they're doing that kind of slow you know kind of thing that villains do. You know She runs away, and then she has all this time to talk to the Ood, and by the time they actually walk into the room, she's already kind of figured out how to get out of there. If they had walked a little faster, they might have foiled her plans. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, once again, they're kind of messing with her.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, honestly, they think she's in a self-contained system. They weren't – I was going to say they weren't around for the discussion about the conversion plate, but
1: they don't have conversion plates. No, because they use the the psychic bridge – yeah to get there so it it feels like okay that actually brings up something i didn't think about
0: yeah how are they still in the the thing without the the conversion plates
1: so their powers seem to be pretty immense and they can kind of go wherever they want right like they were able to to go here i guess them getting here seemed really hard but maybe once they're here now they have the ability to get out of here if they want. Because they were able to go back to Atropos on command at the end of the episode. Yeah. They didn't need any kind of psychic bridge there. Yeah. Or at least not that was explained. So, yeah. Huh. A little inconsistent on their abilities to travel into the void of the universe. And for, out not,
0: of for not liking spatial objects all that much, they know their way around them pretty darn well.
1: <laughs> True. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have a point about that later too, but I'll save it. Uh, (laughs) so they walk in and they're like, oh, you're not going to leave without this and dangle the, the fob watch, uh, which the doctor, I guess was more than willing to leave without it. It seemed like.
0: Yeah. She, she definitely wasn't, wasn't pulled to it just in the, so after this episode aired, um, there's a little special behind the scenes look. It's about 13 minutes long where Chibnall and Whitaker both spend time discussion discussing it. What Chibnall says about the fob watch is that or what I can't remember if it was Whitaker, or if it was Chibnall. I think it might have been Whitaker actually. Just the idea of once she realizes that it's being used as something to tempt her with, she isn't necessarily too keen to give in to her enemy's temptation. When she knows that they are freely offering it to her, at least that's what it seems like, she figures there's some ill ill intent behind it. Um, So she's not too concerned with it at that point in time.
1: Right. So she's kind of like, like we're saying, more than willing to leave it behind. And she, the Ood does find a window that she can kind of jump out and go to the TARDIS. Uh, or at least that's the plan, but right as she's about to transport, uh, Swarm does start to touch her head, you know, so I guess that, whatever that caused, uh, so now she gets transported to the Lumpari ship, which is where Belle and Carvanista are. Don't know if it's just a coincidence she landed there, of all places, or there's some sort of connection that, you know, maybe because she's connected to different people and that's, what's kind of leading her to these places. I'm willing to give him a pass on this, Uh, but she does end up on the Lupari ship.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, honestly we have to, right? Um, because it's very convenient where she ends up, not only in this situation, but as the episode unfolds, the other instances or the other instance where she shows up, but yeah, she shows up with, um, Bell and uh, Carvanista as they are battling Centaurans.
1: Right. And then she also shows up. Um, you know, we talked about what was going on in the tunnel. So she shows up there too. Uh, which I guess it kind of does not make sense. She's showing up to where her companions are. You know? Yeah.
0: And so, the TARDIS. That was the ultimate location that the Ood was trying to bring her to.
1: Right. Yeah. So. So she does end up in in those two places. So now she's kind of split three ways. She's she's in the Lumpari ship with Carvanista and Belle. She's now in the tunnels as well with the rest of the companions. But she's still at the division headquarters with Swarm and Azure. So she wasn't fully able to escape, but she's kind of split in these three ways. Which is like, like we've seen episodes where the doctor like there was more than one version of the same doctor. I think most recently Matt Smith, right? Maybe not. I felt like there was an episode where Matt Smith was like, there was two versions of him, but I'm, I'm blanking on like why that happened. But, um, but yeah, so it's, I don't think this is the first time we've seen something like this, but we've, this, I think this is the first time we've seen it to this extent where it became like such a major part of the, the plot. The separation of her but also the you know the the you know reconnection of her and and what that means um played a huge part in this episode and allowed for the doctor to be in all three storylines because you know typically this season they have kind of split it into different groups doing different things but the doctor's always just in one place now the doctor's in everything
0: yeah the doctor is split doctors involved in everything and you are left to wonder how, why does this make sense? But honestly, like if, as I'm watching this unfold to me, this was probably one of the more enjoyable aspects of this episode to see the doctor split like this. And then to get as odd as it sounds to get the, the, dialogue as the doctor is interacting with the doctor to me this is this is like some of the best we've seen in my opinion of Whitaker's doctor in this episode um there's just something about the personality the the joke the jokes that the the jokes that were being told the cleverness the um I I don't know there's something about it I kind of like how it's Played out. I might not like that it took place, but I like how it played out
1: for her as a character,
0: for her as a character. And then just got what we got to see of Whitaker as the doctor.
1: Yeah, it was definitely more reminiscent of of kind of the banter that you get with other doctors, you know, when they're in these situations and they kind of, you know, they make these snide remarks to a villain that's captured them or, you know, just funny little quirky like it did seem like some of the stuff that we had come to expect from previous doctors um seemed to be more in focus this time
0: yeah there was there was a confidence that's the word that i was looking for there was a confidence that all of a sudden just came to the forefront of the character as soon as the split took place um And it wasn't a subtle confidence like Whitaker's doctor has had confidence. Don't get me wrong, but it's always been
1: a very subtle, very underplayed confidence. We've talked about how she she apologizes too much.
0: Yeah. I mean, that was all series (laughs) series 11 right there. We had an apology account, uh, an apology count going on. Um, There was no apologizing with this with this uh, doctor.
1: She does apologize to Carbonista
0: well she does and she, she does should say she okay we'll get to that
1: but <laughs> that that is the one time it was in a very appropriate i'm sorry but there was definitely and i'm sorry in this episode
0: yes okay <laughs> i stand corrected aaron i stand corrected uh
1: but swarm makes a comment um that he had or says we have everything we need division the power to destroy your universe and you so he's kind of setting up i guess kind of his ultimate plan here. You know, he's trying to get revenge on on Division. He wants the universe to be destroyed, but he also wants the Doctor as well. And that will be kind of revealed throughout the episode as to why why they think the Doctor is valuable for them to have. I think there is some revenge here too with the Doctor, but also because of what the Doctor represents as being the Timeless Child.
0: Yeah, I mean, ultimately we we find out that Swarm and Azure are not, complex, complicated villains, right Their motivations are very simple and very straightforward. There is no grand scheme. there's they, they give all sorts of uh, explanations of what they're trying to do with time and how they don't like space and some grand conflict behind space and time and th- there's a lot of there's a lot of hot air that they've blown throughout these six episodes. but ultimately they're very they're very simple villains they hate the doctor they hate the universe and they hate division for all very practical reasons they've been locked up they've been imprisoned they've been um and they hate that time is locked up on Atropos so very very interesting to also have it just become very one dimensional characters at the end
1: well they're kind of minions right like they're right. they're called the agents of time i believe Maybe that was Chibnall that said that in the behind the scenes, but somebody said that they were the agents of time, so they're not even like the main villain, right? I guess maybe time is, you know, that's something that we'll kind of talk about a little bit later—the personification of time. But yeah, we we do ultimately find out that they're kind of just low low rate villains <laughs> there, and not even with a very clever plan. A lot of their plans just don't seem to quite work out the way they expect. They do adjust. You know they do. At least they follow through on a lot of of what they're trying to do. But um, you know they're not even the most clever. We find out you know this the Centaurans end up having a more clever plan than they did, which is you <laughs> yeah. know they're not you know Centaurans aren't meant or aren't known for their intelligence.
0: Right, right, exactly. It, it was they had a better plan, but probably not not the best plan. Even at the end of the day, I think there's something to to look back at these episodes though and kind of see like this telescoping effect of the villains of the, the bad guys of the episodes, right? Like we were led to believe that Carvanista was the villain. The very first episode doesn't turn out to be that way. That like kind of gives way to the flux. Then the flux gives way to swarm and Azure swarm and Azure give way to, and it kind of just each episode gives way to something else, right? Like the weeping angels were supposed to be the, the big bad. And then that gives mm-hmm. way to tech And like, tectate well, was the villain and that gives way to swarm and azure again and then swarm and azure gives way to the personification of time like it's really hard to pin down who truly is the the quote unquote bad guy within this these story arcs
1: and it's kind of a running theme i would say through the flux storyline uh too many elements too many ingredients in the in the mix maybe
0: yeah i mean it's it's a moving target right which I mean that's something that's been called out about these episodes where you jump from scene to scene, you jump from character to character, villain to villain. Like we are we are left on our heels, caught on our heels, at each and every episode because of the pace that everything is moving. Um, I think that can create a really enjoyable experience at times, but then I also think that it it opens up for the possibility for things not to be as tight as they potentially could be at the end of everything. Hmm.
1: And everything we've talked about so far was all pre opening credits. (laughs) Can you believe that?
0: (laughs) No, that's, that's crazy to to think of that. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right though. Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah. Then suddenly it was kind of a surprise to me uh, because I'm watching it and then all of a sudden the credits start, you know the opening credits start rolling, like holy cow, we're so deep into this episode and we're already or they're they're just now giving us the opening credits, and this episode was longer. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, than what we've been getting with the the other episodes in the season.
0: No, you're spot on.
1: Okay, yeah, so it it was a you know there was more time for them to we talked about there's so much for them to wrap up, uh, and they did have more time to do it. Now, did they actually do it? We'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But um, they come back from the credits and say, and we see the Centauran giving a communication, you know, speaking out to what who we find out to be the Daleks and the Cybermen, basically offering an alliance, the three-fingered hand of uneasy alliance, <laughs> which is a pretty cool title for something. <laughs> yeah,
0: i i liked it. I liked that title.
1: So, setting up kind of their ultimate plan, uh, we get to see, you know, we get to see that message there, which comes into play later on. Um so the doctor being with the the version of the doctor or the split doctor that's with Bell and Carvanista she basically just like kind of takes over which you know you kind of want to see that from the doctor right the doctor shows up somewhere and just takes over and like all right I'm going to take control of your ship I'm going to disengage it from the shield and they're kind of like wait what are you doing and then she flies it to the Santaran base, which happens to be in Chile and um, just decides she's gonna crash their ship right into a Centauran ship. Yeah.
0: And I love how like Carvenista at this point in time is basically like where the heck did you come from and why the heck are you here? And Bells <laughs> Bell's kind of confused, kind of puzzled, and then immediately realizes that the doctor knows what's up. The doctor is truly the most clever person in the room. And pretty much, she falls directly in line.
1: Yeah, and she seems to be pretty, pretty enamored enamored with the doctor. You know, it's it's like one of those things when you when someone shows up who has kind of the know how. You you know, when there's a leader, you know when to follow. Yeah, and I think this is a situation where a leader showed up, and and Bell was like, "All right, you yeah, know, this I'm, I'll go along with this," um, and so they do. You know the doctor's ultimate plan is she's gonna crash the ship into the Centauran ship, knowing that the Centaurans aren't gonna, you know, allow it to actually hurt them, and um, as a way to be purposely captured so she can kind of get into the the ship and try to figure out what they're doing.
0: Yeah, she she sets herself and Carmenisa up to be the ones caught, and then Bell would be on a secret fact finding mission, never to be found.
1: Yes. And the and so, kind of skipping some of the other stuff that happens with the other characters, sticking with, with the Doctor and Carbonista. So, they do ultimately get captured, put into kind of like a prison cell cage thing. And the Doctor's starting to remember, you know, her having the, the visions of being at the temple and seeing him there. Uh, and so, she's kind of like realizing... Um, I guess she kind of comes to the conclusion... Like, wait, did you used to be my companion? And, and you, I mean, right away, you can tell based on Carvanista's reaction that she's kind of hit the nail on the head. And that's probably the truth. I, and she used the term companion. So, you know, I guess they're not using friends anymore.
0: Yeah. She, she used the word companion. And I mean, this entire time from episode one, Carvanista has been like, I can't talk or I'm not going to talk to you about it. Like I can't talk to you about it. We've known that he's been a part of division. We had the flashback, but he's not going to talk to her about it. Um, and we find out we find out why. He 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 mentions that it would kill him to talk to her about it. And I don't know if you're like me. You immediately have like that twinge in your heart, thinking, oh man, he was her companion. He's too emotional like it's such an emotional topic for him he can't talk about it and then you find out that there's a whole heck of a lot more to the story than just emotions
1: like he'll physically die because they they implanted something in his brain
0: yeah Uh, he, he has something implanted that will immediately poison and kill him if he were to talk to the doctor about it
1: which which is kind of funny because it's like how does it make that determination how like how far is he allowed to go because he's basically just then goes on and talks about it he doesn't (laughs) say like yeah i used to be your companion and we traveled to this place together like he doesn't start to get into details but he's basically confirming it like he says um you know there's a time there was a time i'd do anything for you but you left me you know so he's talking about it yeah Um, yeah i put the whole universe between us and you can't come crashing back in as if nothing ever happened like he is he has been emotionally impacted, just like how, however many other companions that this Doctor has gone through. Um, and we've seen the Doctor throughout even just the modern series, but even in the classic stuff that we've seen, having different types of relationships with different companions. And some do kind of just get tossed aside. Yeah. And, and kind of in a harsh way. And, you know, it sounds like Carbonista was one of those, you know, where she kind of you know for whatever reason did leave him now maybe we find some explanation in the future as to why maybe not but it's there is some mystery here as to what happened between them and why he seems to kind of be holding a grudge um but still willing to work with her
0: yeah and what i think is what what stuck out to me is the previous episode to this one we have Teyuun talking to the doctor and basically calling out the fact that yeah Teyuun stole quote unquote stole the doctor but how is it any different than the way that she treats her own companions that she brings with her and it's like immediately following that we have this this conversation between the doctor and Carvanista and you you're wondering if there might be some recognition of the doctor there, which is why, or recognition from the doctor there, which is why she says, sorry, why she apologizes because it, it struck a chord. It finally landed for her, at least this iteration of the doctor. Um, but yeah, the carbonista seems like he's, uh, he's gotten it rough. I, I hope he never like has this. I don't know. I don't know if anybody else does this, but like you have those conversations with someone when they're not in the room, you're just hashing out conversations that you wish you would have had with them hopefully he never does that and then accidentally triggers the thing that injects poison into his brain he's gonna have to be very careful to to draw some lines there
1: yeah and hopefully if this character sticks around uh, in future stories of doctor who that they'll figure out how to maybe fix that so he can talk about it you know yeah
0: you think that would be pretty easy to figure out at some point
1: yeah, I don't know. It seems like the Doctor's Sonic can do whatever she wants it to do, so maybe she can deactivate it or something with the Sonic. Yeah. Uh the So the the Grand Serpent is with the Suntarans as well. And he is you know, so he comes striding in here and um Carvanista finds out from the Centaurans that that his whole you know, they're all all the other Lumpari are dead. The the Suntarans have I guess, infiltrated the ships, taken them over and like, you know, blasted their bodies out into space. I think something like that, the Centauran said. Uh, pretty harsh. So, Carvanista is not only now dealing with, you know, the emotional memories of the doctor who left him behind, but now he's finding out that his entire race has been murdered. Yep. It's a rough day for Carvanista.
0: It is. He oh. is. He is probably the most tragic character in this entire story arc.
1: Only to have uh, only to have Dan come and mock him and talk, call him a dog and talk about you know getting a treat and all. Dan is so mean to this guy.
0: Hey, yep, he is. <laughs>
1: I mean, Dan does it later on when Dan comes. He doesn't know all this backstory. He doesn't know this stuff has happened. So in his defense, uh, maybe he was just trying to keep things light. But yeah, I almost felt like they've they they went in a little too hard with with Dan and his um speciesism against these aliens that he's coming across. Need to, somebody needs to sit down and have a nice talk with him about how, how to appropriately <laughs> refer to alien species that they come across. Because that might get him I, into trouble later on if he keeps uh, he keeps referring to the way pe- these aliens look. Um, he's going to tick some, the wrong one off sometime.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that he didn't have any any interactions with the Ood. That would have probably been pretty, pretty bad to watch.
1: <laughs> so I guess they... So he finds out they die, and... Then they take the doctor away. They're gonna take the doctor away to be interrogated by the Grand Serpent. And um, we do get a moment where Carvinista howls, kind of like a Chewbacca esque moment, where like when when Han Solo uh, gets w- gets pulled away, you know. Yep. He howls, and uh, you know I had said before I was glad they didn't like have him do stuff that like a dog would do, you know, like scratching his ear or something. But now they they are doing it. They they did have him howl. The howl is not as bad as, like, scratching behind the ear. I mean, might as well. Oh, That's come funny. on. They've gone all in on he is basically a walking dog. That's how they've referred <laughs> to him. You know, everything they, they talk about. I was kind of th- hoping that they would kind of say, okay, this is an alien that looks like a dog. But, you know, we're all going to be very respectful and not just call him a dog the whole time. But, no, they – they, that it's part of the humor of the of the series and of this episode in particular is is mocking the way he looks. I don't yeah. know why I'm getting so sensitive about it. <laughs> I was going to say you're you're like taking this very I really personally. <laughs>
0: That's I it is it is interesting with with Dan coming in directly after we find out like all this tragic information information about Carbonista. Um but. I mean, you look at him and it's like, he is a dog. And how would you expect a dog to react when it's super sad? There would be a howling. Like that's, that's what would happen. Um, So I was not thrown off by it at he's, all.
1: He's a Lumpari. He's, <laughs> he's not a dog. Which,
0: which, which what is it? Lupin? It, 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 that's
1: like dog, right? It's like a... Yeah, I guess. It's a canine type thing, sure. Yeah. It's They're just
0: they're just big dogs. That's what they are. <laughs>
1: Maybe they evolved from someone who, you know, someone took a dog somewhere and then it evolved into them. I don't know. <laughs> uh but we'll stick with the we'll stick with these characters for a bit here. Uh, because the doctor does get interrogated by the grand grand serpent. And I get his big thing is he's trying to find Kate Stewart. He's, like, asking everybody where Kate Stewart's at. Uh, not really sure what his hang-up with, like, at this point, trying to find her.
0: Okay, I was going to ask you that. Like, does his obsession with Kate Stewart make, make sense to you? Because it seems like his entire his entire infiltration of unit was to get things prepped so the Centaurans could show up. And that's already taken place. So I'm confused why Kate Stewart is that big of a deal to him.
1: Yeah, and I'm kind of too. Other than just maybe it being personal now, it's kind of personal between them. So along with him trying to utilize the Centaurs to help him, you know, gain some sort of power in this ruined universe, uh, he also wants to get revenge on Kate Stewart. So that's like his side plan. So he's trying to find her because he does. You know, he's in, that's the first thing he asked the doctor, and then later on we see him kind of continuing to to stick with it. Uh, The Centauran does kind of call him out, though, at the end when he's like, I forget what the the term that he used, but he's basically just like, you know, your, you know, whatever your hang up is trying to find this person doesn't matter anymore. But he's still like, yeah, I'm gonna still try to find her. Yeah, that's. (sighs) Yep. And they kind of reveal, I guess, what his because that was something we were questioning before. Like, what is this guy's ultimate plan? Like, who is he aligned with? It sounds like he doesn't really have a great plan you know, maybe whatever power he used to have, he lost when Vinder kind of told on him. You know, Vinder kind of was a whistleblower. And so Vinder paid the price by going into exile, but also maybe that, you know, caused this guy his, his reign. And so maybe his, his goal is he's trying to regain some sort of power. And, you know, I don't know what his connection is, how he's a time traveler, all of that stuff, but You know, the doctor even says that she's like, kind of like, Oh, is your plan to, you know, kind of use the centaurans so you can rule over whatever's left of humanity? Maybe that is his plan. It's kind of a weak plan, but at least it's something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's it. It, It's something, right? That's it. I'm left trying to figure out why he's there how he fits in the overall story. And last last episode, I had like this whole grand thing worked out in my mind as to why he existed in this story. This episode, his fascination with Kate Stewart puzzles me. His his overall like what comes next. Like I'm not sure what he's intending to get out of this because it's not like he's going to like overpower the Centaurans all of a sudden and like become or start ruling them I don't think they're going to allow that to happen so he's he's going to be limited in what he's going to do I don't know I'm here trying to figure out like what his five-year plan is
1: and, and they don't, I don't seem think to he has one. yeah they don't even seem to respect him you know yeah. they kind of you know they they I mean they, I guess they kind of talk that way to everybody but you know it's not like they're working for him Which you may think maybe he you know oh maybe he's the mastermind and he's just using them I'm sure that's what he'd like to think but that definitely doesn't seem to be the truth based on their interactions they are kind of tolerating him if anything
0: yeah and he is very very quickly outsmarted by the doctor
1: right yeah and so he's he's interrogating her and she's this is one of those moments I think you were talking about where she's showing that confidence the banter oh absolutely. Uh, you know, kind of outsmarting people, and this is a really, a you know, really good moment for her where she's kind of getting in his head, guessing what his plan is. Like, oh, let me guess, you're a exiled, you know, person. You used to have power or whatever. Like, and she's kind of nailing everything. And uh, she says something about the. He tries to kill her. You know, the way he's been killing everyone with the snake thing. Uh huh. And then I guess we find out what it is. It's an interbody bioprojection. I mean, we should have known that.
0: Oh heck yeah! From <laughs> the uh, binary demi species.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we should have seen the signs, you know, that it was a binary demi species. But so she, she of course, being the doctor, figures all this stuff out just by kind of looking at him by how hot it is in the room, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> and um, and he quickly realizes that he can't kill her the way he's been killing everybody else because I guess she's split you know, three ways. And so she's not fully there. So he's not able to get that thing like kind of locked inside her, like, uh, like he's been doing to some of these other people.
0: Yeah. I, I would be hard pressed to think back through Whitaker's last two series. So series 11, series 12, and then even, even the episodes for series 13, I can't think of a, a better, a better scene for the doctor. I think this might be one of my favorite Jodie Whittaker moments. Like just the, the way that she is joking around with him, but yet nailing all the information. She's guessing everything correctly. She's also pushing his buttons the entire time. You can tell that she is irritating Prentice throughout the entire interaction. Um, I think this might be, the best that we've seen of Whitaker's doctor.
1: Yeah. It was definitely a a banner moment for her. Uh, This is also the moment that the, the TARDIS shows up and the other doctor, you know, the, the copy of her comes out and, um, stops them. You know, she, she does something with their Sonic and he just stops moving. I'm not sure what happened there, but then she basically redirects the thing that they were using to control her to kind of freeze him in place. And, um, and she's, she calls herself cute. <laughs> yes, she does. Yes, <laughs> she's she very does. impressed with herself in this episode.
0: Yeah, which, I don't know. I feel like this is it's something that I've been waiting for the doctor to do. Like, to finally come into her own and have some confidence to her. Like, she is the most clever person in the room. And she has been time and time again. But to have her have fun with it. I think that's what I enjoyed the most.
1: Yeah. All right. So I think we've reached a point here. The doctors kind of, you know, now back together. Um, I'll we'll save some more stuff for the Grand Serpent until kind of what happens to him at the end. But um, let's rewind a little bit. Maybe head back up to maybe should we just get Vinder out of the way, <laughs> <laughs> or at least like him and Die. Uh, I know, right? We. We know that they were, like the last we saw them, they were stuck in in passenger, right?
0: Yeah, I mean that's Vinder shows up on that one planet. He thinks he's gonna take on Swarm and Azure, and he gets sucked into a passenger form. And come to find out in this episode, he intended on showing up into passenger because he thought that number one that's where Bell would be, and number two he could just quickly radio for help, and everything would be fine at that point. But he is very quickly disappointed when he finds out it's no one but Die Di in the passenger form. It's him and Die for all eternity stuck inside this thing.
1: You would think that like the passenger being almost some kind of portal to some in some other dimension. You know, how would you explain, you know, the bigger on the inside? I guess it's kind of like being inside a TARDIS, right? Right, right. Uh, that you wouldn't be able to necessarily just like hop in there and be like, oh, let me just make a phone call. You know, there'd be some sort of disturbance, uh, or the or be able to fly a TARDIS into there. But I guess with some effort, uh, we we see that 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 is able to happen. But yeah, Di is there all by herself, and Vinder's kind of like, "Why are you here alone?" And she's just like, "Well, they must think I'm insignificant." But it's like, well, if they thought you're insignificant, wouldn't you have been one of the first people they would have killed? You know, like you keep important people. Right. Right. They never really explain why she literally is the sole survivor in this, other than the fact that she's, you know, has importance to, to, to character the character that we know Dan, but you know Azure and uh, Swarm. I guess they kind of know that. Maybe they just kept keeping around for leverage.
0: Maybe. Yeah, I mean they know that, but it it doesn't seem like they care all that much. Like who's Dan to them? He's. I mean, he's with
1: the doctor, so maybe they see it as like they're keeping her in in their back pocket. You know, maybe like all right, as a backup plan, just in case we need to use this person <laughs> as leverage or you know as a hostage in some way. Uh, it, they ended up not needing her, you know, so it didn't work out. But yeah, it seems like they got rid of everybody else but left her there, and then so Vinder and her are kind of there. Yeah, and you know maybe time passes differently she seems to have been there a while she's kind of explored the place she knows how to jump between she the edge of something that will lead to this other you know wasteland um and then she also knows kind of where the i guess there's just damaged part of on the floor that she ha- can have access to 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 mess and stuff up
0: <laughs> yeah i mean honestly the way that you're talking about it is pretty much how how it comes across in the episode where it's like okay some somehow, Dai is unflappable. She has no concerns about being stuck inside this thing. Um, she's also extremely capable. Somehow, to the point that Vinder says that she should be teaching courses at the academy <laughs> on surviving passenger forms. Um, she's explored everything to the point that she found the edge of the realities inside the passenger form and then she randomly decided to start digging a hole and found all the controls for the 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 steps in the door um so yeah i'm, I'm pretty darn confused so by is passenger dying.
1: a like a bean like a is it is passenger like flesh flesh and bone type thing or is is it like a some sort of mechanical thing yeah is it, is it a ship or a, a that's that's kind of what it seems like it's implying, especially since there's like controls that they can mess with. There's tech systems, internal tech systems that yeah, they, they can mess with. So it's like, yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm confused because then you have people talking to it as if it is more than just a simple machine. That said, I mean, you do talk to a TARDIS.
1: It like, could be just like some sort of Android type thing that yeah. you know, has this other dimension inside it. Uh it seems to be known, you know, Vinder has had training about passenger forms, so it's not like it's some kind of new thing. Uh, if you're training in an academy about something, it must be known, you know, pretty well that it made the textbooks.
0: Yeah, known known pretty well, but still he he was confused by the fact that he couldn't use his communicator inside of it, so... Yeah. Those two things didn't necessarily line up in my mind where I he's like, that. oh, yeah, we cover passenger form, but I'm completely lost on why my communicator is not working. He
1: missed that. He uh, missed that answer on the quiz. <laughs> That's why he said she should be training because he didn't remember.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, this – it is – it ultimately serves a purpose in the resolution of this episode, right? Like there is a – a reason why die is inside there's a reason why vendors inside there's a reason f- that we see how they get out all of that serves a purpose um but it seems like it just kind of takes up space in the episode too
1: is <laughs> so she also shows them how to get out like we were talking about how she can activate the steps and if they run fast enough they can get out uh which kind of like if she already knew that why didn't she get out earlier but um, I guess maybe she did get out earlier and then just got sucked back in. But they do kind of they get out only to be sucked back in. Yeah. And then the doctor, you know, later on comes and and saves them in the TARDIS. So it's like, I I guess maybe I'm questioning what was the point of them even getting out if the doctor could just go into the. It was it so he could communicate. I guess. Yeah, that's okay. pretty
0: much it because they jump out on a planet where passengers just standing there just chilling waiting to be called on
1: it was almost like passenger was inside another passenger that's what it looked it was like, like. This big wasteland you know
0: it was that weird hazy like planet not the same one that not the same one with the ocean that the doctor was in but there was definitely that same like hazy effect going on
1: yeah you know die and vendor back in back in play i know i know you were excited to, to get you know to get some more die screen time
0: I'm not gonna lie. I was kind of expecting there to be a little bit more to her character and kind of how all that played out than what it ended up being. But you yeah. y- y- you get what you or you take what you can get.
1: We'll see if she's important later. Maybe maybe <laughs> maybe she's important later. We'll see. Um. All right. Let's go back to. Let's go back to Williamson and that crew. So so the doctor. Um, so the doctor's form does end up back in the tunnels, like we were saying before. Um, and this is where she kind of finds out like how long they've been apart. Yeah. So she asks Yaz like, Oh, how long has it been? And Yaz is like, Oh, you know, it's a few years. And you could tell the doctor's kind of bothered by, by that, that her companions yeah. have been kind of doing this on their own for a bit. Um, Yaz and Dan, I mean, this, they've spent a lot of time together now. to to build some rapport you can see them kind of going back and forth at each other Um, definitely seem to have built a friendship and I don't know how long Yaz spent with with Graham and Ryan but I don't know maybe she's been with Dan longer she's probably been she's been with the doctor and Dan longer than she was with the doctor and Graham and Ryan is my guess It
0: definitely seems that way, especially when it's like you live two years in real time with Dan (laughs) and in the circumstances and situations that they found themselves in. I'm pretty sure they probably got really close. Um, I don't think real time that she had the equivalent amount of time with Graham and Ryan. Um, At least it doesn't seem that way. So, yeah, I would say that they would be pretty darn close at this point.
1: Right. And we do get some Williamson backstory. Yes. More than the wiki, more than Wikipedia uh, would tell you about his history, since he is a real person. We know that now. uh, But, yeah, so he kind of talks about how he just kind of randomly one day noticed these, you know, these access points that he could go into these, you know, fantastical places, and he decided to build structure around it, and then he went into one and saw the end of the universe and thought, "Oh, I need to build an underground city to protect people." And like he, that's why it's kind of been his his motivating factor um, that we weren't aware of up till now. So we get we get that history of um, what made him want to build the tunnels and you know kind of where these, I guess, rifts in time or whatever. And then, once again, they don't really explain where they came from, but that's what he's been dealing with.
0: Yeah. And Williamson is such a number one, the the individual that plays Williamson does a fantastic job. Like there's something about the way that he communicates in these scenes, the way that he carries himself throughout the different episodes. He plays a wacky far out character, does some odd things, kind of walks in, walks out throughout this entire series, but he does such a fantastic job each and every time he's on the screen. Um, I kind of wish that we would have gotten more time with him. That said, I, I don't know if it would have been worth it. Like if it would have just ruined or wasted the character for us, because ultimately after he explains everything with everything, the doctor, the doctor extends a Paul Hollywood handshake, which I just thought was funny because it's a, uh, the great British baking show reference. And then she's like, you're too important to history. And then we're done with them. The mad mole just kind of, somewhat begr- begrudgingly goes back through his door to his own time.
1: Yeah. Cause I think he feels like, you know, he, he's the one that is responsible for a lot of this. Like he's the one that noticed these, these places. He's the one that built around it. Like he spent a lot of time doing this. Yeah. And if you look at the actual historical account of this guy, there is, it is a mystery as to why he was building these tunnels you know and there's all these different theories as to as to why ultimately it comes down to probably the reason he was doing it was because he was just trying to make create work for people. Yeah. And it really wasn't a point, but there are like theories that he was part of some cult that believed in stuff that he was trying to you know build stuff underground, but you know that's those are the less likely truths. You know, the real truth is that he was probably just some guy who was being kind to people and just trying to create work for them. Uh, but it is kind of cool how they tied this in. I had no awareness of this as being a thing. Uh, but apparently you can go and visit these these tunnels. They've, they've kind of re-excavated them to an extent where you can actually go visit and look at them. So now I kind of want to.
0: I, I know. I, I, and I love how just over the period of time of watching Doctor Who, they bring up these interesting historical events, interesting historical characters. And... They put just enough of a spin on them to like excite the imagination, and and kind of get you to to dig in a little bit deeper. And yeah, you're not gonna find the same things that Doctor Who talks about, but there's something about that that uh, accessing of the imagination, the the starting up of the imagination, that gets me really excited about some of these characters. Mad Mole being
1: one of them. And the doctor might be giving him a little bit too much credit to say he's too important to history. I'm not sure how much digging tunnels for no reason is important to history. But he's an interesting character in history. Um,
0: Important in this situation because it's the tunnels that they're important, right? Like at at the end of the day, these, these tunnels are important, right? Like they're actually a huge part of this episode, right?
1: I guess that's true. Like if he hadn't have ever created the tunnels, they wouldn't have had the ability to do some of the things they do.
0: Uh, (laughs) i mean honestly it's the only way like to me it feels like the only thing that these tunnels allowed them to do is for the companions to come back to 2021 like outside of that i don't think the tunnels really serve much of a purpose do they
1: and the tunnels did have there was definitely some convenience to where they led when you wanted them to you know yeah Uh, they needed to get back to 2021 oh look one of the tunnels is doing that or they needed to get him (laughs) back to his time oh look here's one that does that too or or we need a random floating rock in space so we can exile the Grand Serpent. Oh look, here's one. You know, it's kinda like whatever you need for the storytelling is what's behind those doors. Yep. Yep. So he was more important to to Chibnall. He needed that. Uh, <laughs> and then you ha you also have Kate here who kind of gives her update as to what's going on. She's now she says she's the 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 head of the resistance against the Centaurans. And the Sotarans have a psychic command center. They're powering it with humans. Okay. Yes. As you do. Man, a lot of humans being used for power in these episodes. Pretty dark stuff.
0: Yeah, we're just we're just these massive power sources,
1: especially <laughs> when we eat chocolate. It's all we're good for. Uh, yeah, <laughs> chocolate. Yeah. Well, I was not even going to talk about that because it was so dumb. <laughs> but. <laughs> we can just go
0: past it. If you watched the episode, you know exactly what we're talking about when we talk about chocolate. <laughs> we don't need to discuss it.
1: But uh, Kate's plan was she's trying to infiltrate the Centaurans' kind of base in, in uh, Chile, I think I said where is where it yes, was. Yes, correct. And Jericho is kind of like, oh, well, maybe we should bring Claire into this plan. I guess because she said something about it being a psychic command center. Right, and so Jericho's like, "Oh, I know a psychic," and so <laughs> they go and get Claire uh, from
0: nineteen sixty seven.
1: From nineteen sixty seven, which I had seen, some people kind of say, "Well, I thought that that whole thing was like ripped out of time and space, and kind of put in its own little pocket area by the the Weeping Angels."
0: Just just temporarily, it was just for the extraction.
1: Okay, so it got re- it, they they made sure they went back and put it back.
0: Yeah, I because I mean, like at some point. Like Yaz and Dan had to be able to wander off and that's explore what, the
1: world, right? That's what I had heard. You know, I had seen people kind of questioning that. Like, wait, how did they get out of there? You know, weren't they all kind of stuck in these little, you know, ripped away pockets? Uh, but I guess, you know, Weeping Angels being, you know, polite villains, they wanted to make sure they cleaned up after themselves.
0: Yep. They they just wanted to extract.
1: Yeah. And then they put it back. So, yep. so they were able to fly the TARDIS there and get Claire. So she can help because she's a psychic and they needed a psychic.
0: Okay. So as soon as Claire shows up on the screen, did you ever wonder if you were going to see her again?
1: Uh, I mean, she wasn't, if we had not seen her again, I wouldn't have questioned it. You know, she did seem like a character that maybe we wouldn't see again or wouldn't visit again there. But this, the idea that there's some sort of a psychic connection with Centaurians is like, I guess it's part of their backstory. That's like something that's been part of Centaurans since the beginning. So maybe we should have, you know, sniffed this one out because they introduced a psychic into the show. Um, So I don't know. Yeah, I like
0: I started to wonder how heartless I am, because as soon as she showed up on the screen, I was like, oh, yeah, like. I never once thought and or sat and wondered what happened to Claire at the end of the weeping angels episode. It was just like, Oh, she's done. (laughs) Like she's, she's expendable. We don't need her anymore. Like, I, I don't know why I never thought, Oh, we have a character still stranded in 1967 that I think the angels let her go. Maybe like, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but yeah, I was like, Oh dang, I totally forgot that we kind of had to resolve her story.
1: Yeah. I mean, they could have just left her there. I mean, 1967 is not a bad place to be. Yeah, I, I guess. I guess. <laughs> I mean, that's what happened to uh, Amy and Rory, right? Like, nobody went and got them. <laughs> right. True. True. For all, Yeah, I mean, as far as I know. So, basically, I guess the plan is that... I'm trying to remember now how they got there. I know that they have to psychically evaluate to try to find out where the flux events can happen. The Centaurans are forcing Jericho and Claire to do this. Right. but I'm forgetting how they got there. I guess they were just kind of of chocolate. Oh, was it the chocolate thing? It is the chocolate. thing. I literally didn't uh, put it in my notes. That's how much the
0: Centaurans are raiding corner stores and the doctor happens to find a Centauran in a corner store who's hopped up on chocolate and cuts a deal. I'll give you two people, or you can take my two people to your ship for psychic duty, and I will give you a never-ending supply of chocolate. I'll even give you the recipe.
1: Okay. All right. So now, now I'm remembering. I had literally wiped this from my brain. <laughs> <laughs> because honestly, some
0: of the visuals of the Centauran hopped up on chocolate, I can see why you want to wipe that from your brain. <laughs>
1: Yeah, this book, like, once again, kind of like the, uh, the the guy in Nepal. Just didn't work for me. <laughs> like, I didn't find the humor in it. I just thought it was kind of dumb. It seemed to be. Apparently, it's not something that previously has been a thing with Centaurans. I thought maybe it was. Maybe it was, like, a nod to, like, the classic series. Like, oh, they're addicted to chocolate. But I guess this is a new thing for them. You know, interesting idea for the writer to use this as the vessel for them to get You know, okay. Well, we need to we need to infiltrate, so we're gonna do this as the way to do it. You know. know.
0: Yeah, I I I was a little thrown off by this. I would I take the guy in Nepal all day long. I thought he was funny. (laughs) This one was just like I'm not entirely sure how I feel about this. As Yaz and Dan like throw chocolate and soda at this guy, just like, oh, okay. I guess this is what we're doing now.
1: Yep. So, yeah. Jericho and Claire, they're kind of being tortured and they have to try to they're trying to figure out where the flux events gonna happen because that's important to the Centaurans. Right. Because they have a plan with the Daleks and the Cybermen and they want to make sure that everybody's in the right place at the right time. So they're gonna use I don't know why they would think because apparently they've been doing this to other people, other humans, and they're just burning through people. But like I don't think it's like a general power of humans to be able to like psychically find stuff. I and mean, there's not that many doctor who tends to stay more scientific than like supernatural. Although this episode is kind of not doing that, but the idea that there is an actual true psychic um, and there's no kind of alien power or whatever to explain it away is it's, it's kind of an interesting move for doctor who uh, to, to, to rely on someone's psychic powers.
0: Yeah. There's a, like, it seems like this is another one of those instances where the doctor makes sense of it, but I'm not entirely sure what it means because at one point the doctor's like, Oh, metabolic processing, lesser gravity, restorative gas composition that would provoke uh, predilection, like being able to, predict stuff and that's why they're raiding corner stores like does i guess that makes sense maybe like food and stuff helps psychics i don't know but it seems like there is some in-universe explanation of why this works but yeah you're right like it seems like claire is one in a billion that they're burning through right now and they're like
1: ooh. This one's different. <laughs> this one's her, special. Let's give her – let's let's up the, the ampage here, and, and then she does end up, you know, I guess, through what they're doing, she does end up locating the what they're looking for.
0: Yep. She spots it.
1: Let's save the stuff with, like, the Doctor and Azure and Swarm. We'll save that, but yeah. let's jump back to some stuff that we've kind of skipped over. So the Doctor – there's two Doctors now uh, that are together, with now with Yaz and Dan. Um, Dan actually goes in and, and kind of opens the cage for Carbonista. And yep. that's when he's kind of being rude to him about being a dog a couple times. And then, um, so they're all back on the TARDIS except for Jericho and Claire at, the, at this point. Jericho and yeah. Claire are still captured. Everybody else has kind of found their way together. Including
0: and, Vendor and Die.
1: Yes. And we find out that the psychic or the um that Jericho and Claire have these these transport rings or transmat rings yes with them so they're kind of like tipping us off as to what their plans are to to get them out of there um doctor realizes that bell is pregnant yes and that her tigmy is it called tigmy yes has been recording data uh, which included the uh, Santaran transmission, which was the message to try to partner with the Daleks and Cybermen. So that kind of trips something in the doctor's brain, like, oh, wait, why would they be trying to partner with this Dal- Daleks and Cybermen? So jump in whenever, you, whenever I say something that, that sparks something. But the doctor then connects with the other two doctors, uh, like psychically, to try to help figure out what's going on. And the, ta- the TARDIS has also been analyzing, like, the makeup of the flux. And they realize that the primary material is antimatter that's created outside of the universe. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: I mean, it, it, that is – this is the flow of the episode, right? Like, you have that moment where the doctor does the whole touch the temple, contact, the three of them combine. They formulate the plan, right? Like, it, it sounds like they have an understanding of what the Centaurans intend – Based on the makeup of the flux being antimatter. And then the doctor who is still on the space station has access to the OOD to try to convince them to, if I'm remembering correctly, decrease the intensity of the flux, like yeah. weaken it somewhat. Because the whole idea is that the flux is antimatter. What stops antimatter is matter. So if we could just shove as much matter into this antimatter as possible, we should be able to stop it pretty much satisfy its hunger for rampaging through the universe.
1: Right. It will, if there's enough matter consumed that the antimatter will cease to exist. Correct. And the doctor kind of figuring this out, we'll give Kate some credit here too, because Kate and the doctor were kind of talking back and forth and kind of figuring this one out. Um, one version of the doctor and Kate. And so they're, I guess this is kind of making the doctor realize why the Centaurans are pulling, you know, pulling the Cybermen and the Daleks into this because she's like, Oh, she, they're going to bring them here at a certain time where they know the flux is going to hit because it's going to destroy their enemies. And then they'll be protected by the, the shield that was initially meant to protect the earth. They're going to be able to reconfigure it and protect themselves. So then the flux will kill their enemies. Yeah. But then another layer to it is not only will it kill their enemies, but it will also because of the mass of the enemies would uh, essentially the matter from that would would be enough to stop the antimatter. And they would be free of the flux, the Centaurans would, and would be then free to rule the galaxy or universe of whatever's left of it. Right. That's kind of their ultimate plan, which I mean the doctor even kind of says, Oh, it's kind of a clever, clever plan. Maybe wouldn't have expected that from Centaurans.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it seems like again, as the audience, right? We're we're just left to look at this or left to listen to this, watch it, and shake our heads being like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Matter stops antimatter. Like this is a great plan. Lupari Shields stops the flux. Like why wouldn't this be a good idea? I mean, the, the actuality behind of it, behind all of it, no idea. Sure, it, it sounds good to me. Um, but yeah, the Doctor says that it seems like a pretty solid plan, and Kate's like, so we're going to save the Daleks and the Cybermen to defeat the Suntarans? And the Doctor's like, no, I, I have a more risky plan than that.
1: Right. So I did kind of question the logic a little bit. Of the plan or the kind of quick fixability of it, because we had talked about oh, is there going to be like a simple solution? And it seems kind of generally a simple solution. You know, antimatter is, you know, if it consumes too much matter, it stops. But it's basically consumed the whole universe already. Yeah, right? not wrong. So, like, did the Centaurans like calculate how much would be left? <laughs> like, or like, okay we're going to let it destroy the entirety of the universe. And then we'll bring the Daleks and cyber in here. And we know that the mass of them is going to be enough to stop the flux. Or are they just kind of guessing and hoping? Because it does seem like kind of a interesting, like the universe is a pretty big place and it's already consumed all that. What, what would make them think that, uh, you know, a couple armies are going to stop it.
0: Right. I, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> like, it seems like this is just their, their, last, or their best guess, and then they're just banking on whatever's left the Lupari shield will be able to prevent it, but as we find out very quickly after this they horribly underestimate the power of the Flux
1: right, and the cleverness of the Doctor
0: and the cleverness of the Doctor
1: because the Doctor's plan ultimately is that Carvanista because of his knowledge of Lumpari ships is able to send some sort of a pulse through this, all of the ships and which is going to stun or knock out the Centaurans that have taken over the ships. Uh, So now they are no longer in control of the ships to, I guess, put them in the right formation or maybe they were in the right formation, but now, now uh, Carvanista has the ability to change the formation, uh, which means that the Centaurans are no longer going to be protected
0: Right. It's basically going to be behind the Centaurans instead of in front of them.
1: Right. And so the doctor, you know, kind of lets that happen. And then when the flux comes, not only does it destroy the Daleks and the Cybermen, but it also destroys the Suntarans. Uh Yeah. So once again, our beloved doctor kills an entire race. <laughs> three of... entire races. Oh Yeah, I mean, I guess she could have saved them if she wanted. Uh, I don't know, maybe not. But she definitely caused uh, a race, meaning the Centaurans who had figured a way to protect themselves, she caused them all to die by, yeah. by sabotaging them.
0: And, uh, and the doctor almost, along the same lines as the Centaurans almost anticipates that the amount of mass from these three massive armies would be enough to stop the flux. And then the lapari shield would would do the rest, but that simply is not the case. The maths just does not add up. They need Danny Pink to help them with maths.
1: As I was gonna say, I appreciate the the use of maths. <laughs> uh, we have to talk because now the Centaurans have have been wiped out, but along with one of our favorite characters, yes, uh, the escape attempt from Claire and Jericho it doesn't quite go as planned. No, uh, they have these transport rings. Claire gets right out of there. But um, Jericho, I mean, your clumsiness is, is the end of you, my friend. Yeah, he drops the ring. He chucks it across the ship. Does he chuck it on purpose? No, I'm, I'm just okay. saying,
0: like, it flies far enough away from him that, he it, that it.
1: it was detrimental. He yeeted it, as my son would say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it hit, yeah, he drops the thing. It bounces. He, he doesn't have it. He. You know, confidently uses a blaster, you know, shoots, shoots the door, shoots, you know, shoots at the Centaurans, but some random blast hits his ring. I don't know if it was his or one from the Centaurans, but it destroys his way off the ship. And, you know, this is along with, I'd say the Carvanista part where the, where Carvanista struggling with like the doctor abandoning him, uh, was pretty emotional. This is a pretty emotional scene for me. I really like this character. And I I was sad to see I was sad to see him go. I thought they put him I, I I thought they sent him off in a a nice fashion. Um, he has a couple cool lines at the end. You know, he's like, "Who has had a life like mine?" Uh, as he sees the blast coming through, about to take him out, he says, "What an awfully big adventure!" Yeah. Um. Yep. So yeah, one one of the better guest stars of recent memory.
0: I mean, what an awfully big adventure that that seals it for me because that's almost a straight up Tolkien reference, um, which is I don't, it, it fits the time. Right. Um, Jericho would have been familiar with. Ah, I don't know. That still might be a little early. But anyways, hmm. I appreciate the line. But the one that sticks out to me is I, sir, am Professor Eustatius Jericho scourge of scoundrels. I wish I, I wish I had written that in autobiography. What a good title. I, he's such... He was such a good character. Um, For the short period of time that we got to spend with him, I was bummed to see him go out this way. That said, it does seem like a very fitting end to the character, Um, especially if we aren't going to get to spend more time with him down the road. I don't want to think that this character just goes back to living in 1967 and has no further adventures or other experiences. I, I like to know that he 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 went out in a good way.
1: Right, he's too big too big name of a star to have. You know, they're not going to just like oh this is going to be a recurring character. Like he probably signed on. Oh, right. To be in a handful of episodes and be done because you know he's he's a notable enough actor who's probably got other projects going on. Uh, so it was nice to see. I, I like it when they get these kind of more familiar faces, and just a quality actor like him who played the part so well. And if I if I had to pick of the people, you know, who are left at the end of this episode, where you're like, oh, we may see them again. I would have rather Jericho survive and maybe somebody else not make it. But <laughs> um, but yeah, he, you know, I get why that you know he he's a character that probably isn't going to be revisited. So why not? Why not send them out in a blaze of glory? Yep. So after that, like you said, the maths were off. There's there's some residue flux left. And who comes up with the grand idea of Passenger being able to absorb the rest of flux? Die. Die. Die does. That was her whole purpose. That's why. We were always questioning why this person matters. But they just needed her just to come up with this idea. No one else could have come up with this. Nope no one no one so she was she was important adam yep we can't she question was... her importance now cuz nope. they gave her this one line uh so yeah they passenger because you know as we've talked about bigger on the inside expansive all these places inside of him uh i guess if he endless
0: did, matter right,
1: endless matter he can he can open up and pull it in I feel like I missed a detail because I don't know. The doctor does say um, that they could summon the passenger to absorb the rest of the flux, and so how do they summon the passenger?
0: Hey, passenger!
1: <laughs> they have a, <laughs> a recall button or something, or maybe there's some sort of psychic connection that you know the doctor has yeah. that she can summon a passenger. I it felt like I. Like I literally felt like I missed a line that maybe explained that the passenger could just be called recalled or called into wherever they want. Cause suddenly they say that line that, you know, you can summon the passenger and then the passenger just appears in space floating in space right in front of the flux and just willingly participates in this plan.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, when Diane vendor initially escaped from the passenger form, contact the doctor, they get sucked back inside. The doctor shows up, outside of passenger she does make some comment about basically the passenger just waiting for its master master's command that will never come yeah i don't like there is some they they allude to this idea of summoning the passenger but they don't as you mentioned give additional details in regards to like how is that actually done so i think we're just led to believe here that the doctor does something that allows her to summon the passenger at this point. Like, is she now the, the mass, the master of this passenger form? Um, either way though, the doctor refers to it as mutually assured extinction. So this passenger doesn't exist anymore after it absorbs the, uh, the flux.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I guess that, you know, it was, it was convenient. They have this being that can do that and it's, and it was easily convinced to help them. I it would have resolves.
0: Liked... It resolves a big issue from the six episodes that we've watched.
1: Yeah the 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 logistics of it or the fact that he can do that um, makes sense. And I guess I'm kind of surprised I didn't think about it earlier because they did introduce the the idea that there's this you know expansive you know, thing that you could just take in as much as it wants. So it's like, oh yeah, that would be a, a nice solution to the flux. But I wish there was a little bit more exposition as to how it worked as far as how they got him there uh, and got him to participate in it. Just some, maybe there's a deleted scene or something, but um, when the doctor was having that conversation with him, like about his master's not needing him and stuff, maybe maybe if she just threw in an extra line about like, you know, I could even summon you at will if I want, or something like that. You know, like something to kind of give us, like, oh yeah, she can do that.
0: Yeah, like even something as simple as like you're mine now. <laughs> like, right? Like it would have explained. It would have explained a lot. Um, I agree. Like it makes sense, right? Could it have been handled a little bit better as far as how everything played out. Probably. Um, it's just where we this is one instance in this episode that we have like this massive force, right? Destroyed, destroyed the universe. Um, and how, how do you get rid of something this big? How do you resolve something this big? And that's something that we've talked about in previous episodes. And so to have it resolved kind of so simply, um, it does leave a little bit to be desired I wish there was a little bit more hassle as you mentioned getting the passenger form there or maybe getting something to work with the passenger it just seemed very convenient that it was like oh yeah hey passenger and then all of a sudden the flux is gone
1: and we had we had said we were worried that there would be the kind of like think happy thoughts type of ending which didn't happen yeah you know there's still some very unhappiness you know like they obviously you know as far as we know didn't fix the rest of the universe which I thought they would I thought there would be some sort of kind of turn back time type of thing. Uh, so they did. We, we wanted the doctor to come up with a clever way of getting rid of of the danger and flux, and she kind of did. So, you know, there could have been a little bit more explanation as to how it worked, like you said. But I think ultimately some of our fears were not realized.
0: Yeah, but absolutely. Yeah.
1: So there is some more pretty important stuff to talk about. We kind of skipped over everything having to do for the most part with Azure and Swarm and the doctor's interactions and the fob watch and all that stuff. So we'll kind of go back through some of that. Um, so when the, the version of the doctor or the split part of the doctor that was still with them, um, they are kind of teasing her with the fob watch and they don't, they don't make us wait too long. She just, Azure just opens it. Yeah. And uh, we, we get to see the doctor, kind of seeing that vision again of the house. So it seems to be like the house is almost like a representation of like, that's where her old memories are. They're, they live in this house. And if she wants to, she can go in and look at them. You know, it's kind of like this visual representation of what's going on, I guess, in the fob watch, uh, how she had the, those visions before without the fob watch being in, involved. I don't know. But now she, now when they open the fob watch, that's kind of what's being, what's happening with her, um, and then Swarm is kind of like in there with her, and is showing her like, oh, I can, look what I can do, and he's like making the house start to like be destroyed, but then he reverses it, and he can just toy with her, toy with time, and make her kind of relive this as long as he wants.
0: What I'm a little bit confused by is that the fob watch is opened, right? Uh Like any other time, at least in in my recollection, any other time that a fob watch has been opened or something like this has happened, there's really no, there's really no delay or decision involved, right? Like John Smith, when tenant has the fob watch, he, he, he doesn't want it to happen. And yet it still happens. Like, you can't prevent it. So I'm a little confused as to how the fob watch is opened. And yet there's still not the knowledge or the memories that go along with it. Right. Like they're still held back. I'm confused how that aspect of it works out.
1: Right. Maybe this fob watch is B is different than the ones we've previously seen because it kind of has to be right. Yeah. Cause previously it was like the consciousness almost of the doctor. Right. Was in there and his, his like, personality like oh it was like his self-awareness right whereas this is almost like they're storing memories it's a little bit different and and i think they're trying to imply that azure and swarm have some kind of powers like they're able to kind of manipulate this stuff right so maybe because they're involved they can kind of what normally would happen with a fob watch they can kind of interfere with yeah and once again like this is one i'm kind of giving them a pass on because they haven't really explained to us Azure and Swarm and kind of what their ultimate powers are, but they seem to be pretty powerful creatures. So I'm kind of like, okay, maybe that's just part of their abilities is they can, because they are connected to time and Gallifreyans are time lords, they they also have the ability to mess with Gallifreyan fob watches. (laughs) why not
0: that's a that's a little skill set they have listed on their their resume yeah Um, as they turn it into villain school can mess with gallifrey and fob watches like oh wow that is (laughs) a
1: unique skill sir (laughs) you are hired one thing thing that
0: struck me is that like ultimately what we come to find out is that we have fob watches inside of fob watches right like we already know of other times that the doctor um be it uh the fugitive doctor be it tenant's doctor Like there's been times where their consciousness, memories, uh, identity has been stored away. But then we also have this instance where this fob watch might predate all of those other fob watches. So it's like we have fob watches on top of fob watches at this point, which I just find interesting. The fact that like you have stuff stored and then you can store more and only restore part of it at that point. So you could basically have multiple backups of yourself (laughs) running at any given point in time.
1: Yeah, so we do find a little bit about kind of like what Azure and Swarm's ultimate planes are, a little bit more clear than Grand Serpents. But they they want to end all spatial objects. <laughs> it's their their thing. Yes. And um, they kind of want the doctor to to like have to see it because she's she's kind of talking to the doctor. Azure's talking to the doctor like. You know, you care, your, your problem is you care about like living things and you want to see things live. You want to see things prosper and grow. And like, isn't that kind of like everybody, you know, I don't know that that's a doctor thing. That's kind of just like a human thing, but um, maybe they just don't get it, you know, to them, like the idea of like spatial things growing and thriving doesn't matter. All they care about is time, which is supposed to be destructive uh, so they ultimately, they want to see the universe destroyed, but they want the Doctor to watch it, and then they want to do it all over again and then just keep doing it, and that's the way that they're going to like get their revenge on the Doctor is they're going to just make her watch the end of the universe over and over again.
0: Yeah. Yep. They, well, also, they seem...
1: <laughs> no, go ahead.
0: I was going to say they seem to lack the recognition that the, they themselves are spatial objects. Like I think towards the end, we get the sense of... They're they have like the ultimate goal of ascension, or they're not, not opposed to this idea of not being spatial objects anymore, um, spatial beings. But it, it's like you can't necessarily destroy everything because then you yourself would cease to exist,
1: right? I guess, unless they're just kind of like physical representations of something. I don't know. They they are what are they called again? Uh, ravagers, ravagers. so they're like a thing. I guess, yeah. and I think Chibnall even mentions it in the behind-the-scenes stuff. He kind of talks about them being these powerful beings and the, the agents of time. So they, there is some connection with them and the in time itself. They're obviously not as powerful as time, but their ultimate goal is, you know, when they're using the flux, they want the flux to, to destroy the temple of Atropos as kind of like a final thing. So they can, because that's what's containing time. And right. So if they can destroy that, then time will be released. And who knows what that means for, you know, because time, it's, it's kind of an interesting idea that they're like giving time like this personification and it's like almost like this deity. Once again, right. Doctor Who tends to shy away from kind of the more supernatural And even when there have been supernatural elements in Doctor Who, they tend to explain it away with science. It's like, oh, well, that's an alien that has that power or that's some kind of scientific thing. But it's not like a god, like even very powerful alien species in the past that people thought were gods, but they're not gods. Whereas this is almost like time, like time is something that I don't think we even can like fully grasp as humans, like how it all works. And they're giving it like a personification now. It's kind of a weird thing. It's almost like too big for Doctor Who. I don't know that I want there to be this kind of like ultimate villainous being that's like time. Yeah, I agree. It's something that I've ever since in the uh,
0: previous episode where they mentioned the conflict of space and time. Like I've I have been really confused as to what that actually means how that works out like they do set it up as two entities space and time kind of battling it out throughout the 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 course of history if you will and like tardis time and relative dimensions in space like it's kind of the combination of those two things having these two things these two entities personified um it does give a really interesting dynamic and I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that moving forward. And, you know, at least one of these things are going to come back moving forward. Um, Another thing that I thought was interesting, this line just stuck out to me at one point, Azure refers to the doctor as the universe. So like she herself is a representation of space right she's the, the representation of the universe itself so again we have that conflict between the universe the doctor which i i probably am taking that way too far in what the, the intended meaning there was but we have space the universe has the doctor representing space
1: and then this personification of time that we get at the end it's almost like chibnall trying to top everything that's come before it's like oh well we've had all these kind of different villains that the doctors had to deal with, but the doctors never had to deal with like a villain, like division who who can like begin and end universes. You know, it seems like the, the division is now this more powerful entity than we've ever seen before and has been controlling things behind the scenes that we didn't even know about. And now it's like, Oh, and then you know what else I can do that's even bigger than that? I'm going to have time be a villain. You know, that's that's a whole nother level of of something that the Doctor would have to deal with. It's like how, it's almost like they've gone too big and where do you go from here? You know, this it's almost like time and now has to be the ultimate villain in Doctor Who. And that's something that the Doctor, you know, will probably continue to face in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, the idea of time lords and the way that they've set this up where there's like this, this temple construction, uh, this planet that has confined time, that time lords, that Gallifrey, that the division are responsible for. Like it, it does seem to lend itself to time lords, putting time, this personification, this, this deity, this entity, In captivity right like there is this conflict then between the time lords who are controlling time and time itself and time wanting to be free so i get it to that extent i just don't know if i want to see it i i just don't know what's going to happen from this point forward right like you i haven't ever seen it couched that way put into that form before and I feel like that's where we're going, where there is going to be that conflict between Time Lords and the, this concept of time that has been imprisoned by the Time Lords.
1: So Swarm and Azure bring the Doctor to Atropos uh, with a plan to sacrifice her to time. <laughs> um, they, I think at this point they still think that the whole Flux you know, plan is going to work. Uh, they believe that they're going to take the Doctor to Atropos and the Swarm you know flux is going to destroy the planet free time and when time is freed they can sacrifice the doctor to time the timeless child would be a great sacrifice to to time but when they when they get there and time does show up times like you know did you just come here to show me that you failed because i'm still trapped here and that's when they realize that you know the flux didn't work out yes and the, the so time first shows up looking like swarm, uh, and then basically time tells them that uh, because they failed, you know their their reward for failure <laughs> is that uh, time absorbs them. Essentially, kind of the way that we've been seeing this kind of purpley dust stuff kind of killing people in other episodes. It's kind of like what the time what time looks like. When yeah. It, before it's you know before it takes form, so it it absorbs them and it seemed like Swarm wasn't as cool with it as Azure. Azure was like, like oh Ascension, like this is you know for whatever reason she thought it was a good thing, but Swarm seemed to not be as as into it.
0: Yeah, it happens though, right? Like I, again, we have Tayun, Division, the big bad she kind of turns out to be not much in the face of Swarm and Azure. They destroy her and now Swarm and Azure are the big bad until this point when you realize if you peek behind yet another curtain, they're just, they're not as big and dangerous as we thought they were either. And that's when time shows up because time has already killed Swarm and Azure, these massive entities that seemed like they were going to be terrible to deal with. They're resolved and, Pretty much the snap of a finger.
1: And the doctor... So the doctor now has the ability to grab the fob watch because Azure is dead. Drops she it. She drops it. Doctor can get it, but then also the doctor's kind of thinking, well, time's probably going to dispatch of me as well. But time doesn't. And kind of drops some some heavy lines on the doctor. Um, so, so she says to the doctor... Uh, oh, she changes. So time changes to look like the doctor. That's why I keep saying she, because it it now takes on the personification of the doctor. So the doctor is right. essentially like talking to herself. And
0: <laughs> a she, fourth doctor. Yeah,
1: another one. another version. Uh, if we didn't have enough Jodie Whittaker in this episode, um, she says, "You can leave here, but you won't outrun me. Your time is heading to its end. Nothing is forever. No regeneration." No life. Beware the forces that mass against you and their master.
0: What?
1: And I did notice in the subtitles they capitalized master.
0: Yeah, they they definitely capitalize master in the subtitles.
1: So, so it's kind of interesting. Time is you know has been revealed. Now has had a conversation with the doctor, but still trapped. So maybe yep. not as much of a threat as it could be. Uh, because it's still stuck on Atropos. And now it's kind of warning the doctor, your time is coming to an end. We know as viewers that Jodie Whittaker's time is coming to an end, so it kind of of makes sense. But but the doctor didn't know that. We knew it, but the doctor didn't know that. So she seems to be a bit surprised and kind of in denial that this is happening. And then, interesting that she drops the line, no regeneration. Because, I mean, come on, we all know. There's going to be a regeneration, right? I just meant that
0: I I took that to mean like nothing is forever. No regeneration, no life, like no regeneration is forever. No life is forever. um Not necessarily that there would be no regeneration.
1: Yeah. And I mean, obviously we know because the show is not ending that there will be a regeneration, but there may right. be in the, you know, in the final episode, there may be some reason to think that she might not regenerate. Right. Um, something happens where you're questioning it or, you know, whatever, because they, they've kind of done that before, too, with, um, I keep saying Matt Smith, <laughs> he's just, to <laughs> but then they have the time where he got, he was starting to regenerate, but then he ended up getting shot, and his regeneration stopped,
0: yeah, uh, yeah,
1: but I mean, obviously, ultimately, that he regenerated as well, but um, not in that moment, and so I, I do wonder if they'll kind of toy with a little bit of a tease of like, oh, wait, oh, no, she's not going to regenerate. Um, so yeah, kind of an interesting interaction, definitely hinting at the master returning in some way with, with maybe the end of her time, which would be cool. Cause I think, especially if it's, if it's the actor who's been playing the, the master, because I really like his portrayal. Yeah. He's been, he's definitely been a high point. I, I also like the fact
0: that, I mean, we all knew it was got, knew it was coming. I like that the show's not ignoring it. Right, like from this point forward, we kind of are set up for a farewell tour for Whitaker, if you will. So we know we have three specials left. Um, how many specials did Tin have before his regeneration? Were there were there three? We had the Waters of Mars, and I feel like there were two others in there as well.
1: Um, the Next I, Doctor, uh, the, then the Time ones were two-parter, so that was okay. four. I think he had at least four specials, if not five. Okay. So we had a it, whole season I, of just specials.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much, right? Um, but it feels like we're set up for that farewell tour of the doctor now that those lines have been dropped. Yeah. I sure. I, I, I I see no way that we could jump in the New Year's special and the doctor not have some reference to this if not for like an internal monologue or a, a monologue that she has at some point when she's alone, like this yeah. has to be referenced now moving forward.
1: You mean this, just this series or like the, or the, her interaction with time,
0: her interaction with
1: time, like okay. the fact
0: that she now knows the end is coming
1: and yeah,
0: it's going to essentially haunt
1: her. the master
0: is at the other end of it.
1: Yeah. It's going to haunt her a little bit. A um, couple things just to kind of wrap up. Kind of in how the episode ends. And then we maybe give some of our final thoughts. But uh, Vinder does end up having this confrontation with the Grand Serpent. Kate is there as well. They do exile him through one of the doors, as I referenced earlier. So he's now stuck on a rock in the middle of space. Which is a pretty horrible way to, to dispatch of someone.
0: Yeah, especially when it's cold. And this demi-bio creature, however he's referred to, Needs hot places. They put him in a not so hot place.
1: Yeah, I don't know how long you can last on a on a cold rock out in the middle of space without any you know sustenance or whatever. So he's he's done for, I would assume. But you know, he's an interesting enough character. Wouldn't shock me if we see him again. Yeah, somebody lets him out. Somebody goes and opens that door. Probably an unwitting Williamson going down the tunnels <laughs> and lets him out on accident. Uh, we do have kind of Vinder Bell. Carvinista, they're going to be hanging out in the Lumpari ship. Carvinista says he's going to get rid of them as soon as he can, but we probably all know that that's not true. It's almost like they're setting up some sort of a potential offshoot. Uh, not that I think they're going to get their own TV series, but I feel like we're going to see all three of them again.
0: Yeah, there's going to be some audiobooks. Big Finish is going to grab all uh, these characters. a
1: good call, probably. They'll do a comic series, too. Yeah. Uh, Claire makes it back to 2021, Kate as well. Kate says she really likes this version of the doctor and hopes she sees her again.
0: And these two also feel very much like they have their own stories coming as well. Unit so. Unit Unit could use a psychic, right? And yeah. Claire has proven that she is very capable.
1: Okay, okay. I could see that. And then Dan is back at the museum, you know, to now talking about Williamson. And Di shows up and this, she's not happy with it. I have
0: no idea she's why all of a sudden this just falls apart like this.
1: Well, she, when she, they first kind of reunite on the TARDIS, she says, you didn't, you know, you didn't wait. And he's kind of like, Oh yeah, I did. You know, all this." And then now they're at the museum and she still seems to be, he's kind of like, Oh, maybe we should go out. And she just gives him the cold shoulder. And, it does seem a bit unfair to him. I mean, especially since she's all this stuff has been revealed to her and she's seen all these fantastic things and how crazy everything is. You would think she'd give the guy a pass. Like, okay, I get why you didn't show up because, you know, I don't know. The universe was ending?
0: Yeah. I mean, her big complaint when they meet in the TARDIS is you were late. And I, I, at that moment, you like kind of want to pause and look around and be like, yes, and you were inside of a passenger form. Like, none of this... None of this is normal. Like these are not normal circumstances. I'm, I'm sorry. Dan was late, but this is not normal. And then she brings it up again at the museum. Like I, I, I'm sure and I don't want to, I'm sure there are reasons and I'm sure they're totally understandable, but outsiders perspective, it's like, seems a little unreasonable. She was really digging on Dan and Dan was digging on her on the very first episode. And now it's like, all this stuff happens. And it, seems like she could be a little more understanding
1: um but i guess not they needed to free dan up for travel so they can't have him leaving a girl behind that's gonna miss him
0: i guess not maybe maybe those two years that he spent in 1904 he's too old for her now
1: yeah so we so i think that maybe part of the reason why they're having her kind of upset at him is so we don't you know, we don't want them to have a romantic connection at, at this point because we need him to be a, a free man to to go off and travel the universe, at least for a couple specials with the Doctor. Yeah. And that then maybe sense. he comes back at the end and they they make up. But so he is now officially part of the crew. I think it kind of he already was, but it, you know they they do have a moment here where they you know kind of invite him to travel with them, and he accepts, and so now he's going to be going. To they don't know where, but there is an interesting moment uh, with the doctor and Yaz. That Dan is with them. They send Dan off to go find like his bedroom, and then the doctor kind of apologizes to Yaz, like you know I know I haven't been open with you. I'm sorry about that, and like I I really want to tell you everything now. Uh, There's definitely like a very emotional moment between the two characters there's a connection between them that, you know, even when Dan kind of shows back up and almost like interrupts them, you know, as they're having this emotional moment, it definitely seems like they're implying that the doctor and Yaz have a a bit more of a special relationship than like the doctor typically has with an individual companion, maybe something that we haven't seen since like Rose. Yeah.
0: I mean, in this moment, it definitely feels like it's leading to something there's um there is a connection there there is extended eye contact mm-hmm. um sharing of hearts you you almost expected things to go a certain direction with it until they're interrupted which is kind of what you would expect in a situation
1: uh like this even the like the camera angles they were using oh absolutely it was very like Like you would see in any TV show or movie, like two characters are like having a moment and then they're like kind of the way their heads are positioned and like the the way they're connecting with their eyes. And you're like, man, they're about to kiss. Right. Like I thought they were about to kiss and maybe they were. Uh, And then Dan kind of shows up and interrupts things. And I know there had been speculation kind of leading up to this season that maybe there would be more of a romantic connection between the doctor and Yaz. Um, And I'm not saying that that's what this is, but it definitely seems to be implying that there could be or could have been in their travels already um, that kind of connection that, you know, the Doctor, not that the Doctors never had romantic connections to uh, companions. But I mean, in the entirety of the modern series, it's what Doctor and Rose was definitely romantic. And then the Doctor and River Song, but she wasn't really even a like kind of true companion. So it's pretty rare uh, for them to kind of have the Doctor get that close to a companion. So, and it's kind of setting you up a little bit for more heartbreak because we know the Doctor is going to be leaving. Yeah. And so, and there's only a little bit more time that these characters are going to have together. So if they go further down this road, and maybe they don't, maybe this is the only moment we get. But if they do go further down that road then it's gonna be a little bit more heart wrenching and probably for Yaz to have to deal with a transition to a new a new doctor if if she does have to deal with that transition.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I also think there's something else to to take a look at in this scene. And I don't want to read too much into it, but it it almost seems hollow what the doctor's saying. Because the doctor says that I was looking for information about me a life I never knew I want to tell you everything and Yaz responds I'd like that and then Dan interrupts and then as soon as Yaz leaves the room the doctor immediately goes back to hiding things right like there's this moment of honesty and almost intimacy with Yaz and then she immediately (laughs) reverts back to the hiding of things from Yaz, like Yaz never knows that the doctor had a watch. Yaz never explains it, and I don't think the doctor ever intends to share that bit of information with Yaz. Um, I don't know if there's there's shame involved there. I don't know what the reasoning behind that is, but I think that that scene of openness and intimacy, um, telling of truth in juxtaposition to immediately hiding something away in the TARDIS, not only from yourself, but also from Yaz, not sharing that aspect. I think those, see, the, those two things are really interesting together. Um, like the Doctor is being honest, but is still hiding
1: things. And I can't help yeah, but yeah. think that's going to come back to Biter. The Doctor lies. That's The, the Doctor uh, lies. The rule, rule number one, right? Yep. Uh, I didn't pick up on it, I guess... The connection between the two acts, like I thought, her her admission of her you know her admission to Yaz that she hadn't been open with her and that she wanted to tell her everything, I felt like all of that was very sincere. I thought that her getting rid of the fob watch was almost a different, like not even related. It was more getting rid of that temptation of like, does she really want to know? Does that does all that that's stored in that watch matter? You know the doctor is is who she is and i think she accepts who she is and so maybe and it's also some of it too is just storytelling like let's leave this for later you know we don't want her to pop that watch open and find out everything about her past and share it with yaz i mean that makes for a boring story right like we need, <laughs> we need the mystery we need to know like oh wow like She's not gonna. She's not gonna tell Yaz about this. But she does want to open up to Yaz. But now she's gonna throw it down the into the TARDIS. Don't give it back to me, unless I really ask for it. You know. So yeah. You know which version of the Doctor is gonna have that ask because you know it's gonna happen eventually. But they might let that thing sit in the TARDIS for a couple seasons. You know, and use it for the next Doctor's regeneration. You know, where they pop that thing out and start talking about it again. So, and I and honestly, I would prefer that they really leave this one alone for a bit. Because, you know, the idea of the timeless child and the doctor having like tons of other versions of themselves before, you know, what we know as the first doctor never thrilled me anyways. Like, I like the fact that I have these defined doctors and they're numbered. You know, I like the organization of it. (laughs) And so (laughs) the idea of them, you know, kind of flooding the doctor's history with all of this stuff is something that I really wasn't that interested in. So it's kind of nice... To think oh you know what maybe they're going to table that for a while, and then let some future creatives figure it out.
0: I I have a sneaking suspicion they're going to pop this thing open. You by if not for, I th- I think it's gonna ha- I think it's gonna happen as soon as the master shows up on the scene. I think the likelihood that this thing gets opened up is it goes up immensely. There's going to be, like, some necessary reason for the doctor to open it in order to resolve some conflict with the master. Oh, um, huh, interesting. I, I think I think that's going to be what happens. But taking a step back, how much more meaningful would it have been, though, if the doctor would have been like, hey, yes, I found this. This is from my past. Can you hold on to it for me? And, like, that amount of sharing – like martha carried around the doctor's fob watch for a long time right like martha knew that it existed um i don't know i I just feel like the fact that she tosses it into the bowels of the tardis as opposed to being like i want to give i want to share everything with you here can you keep this for me um i think it speaks a lot that she threw it down a bottomless pit
1: (laughs) i think it speaks to how dangerous the information could be and that if she just handed it to Yaz, it's it's almost like she's putting Yaz in danger. And I think that by her tossing it into the you know the bowels of the TARDIS, as you said, is her way of getting rid of something that's potentially dangerous and that she doesn't need right now.
0: Yeah, I would say that she's definitely scared of so it.
1: So it's interesting that your prediction is it comes back up uh, before Whitaker's time's over. It makes sense that they would, but I I'm really hoping that they leave that one be for a bit, and that and we so we'll talk about you know we we've gone pretty long already, so we don't have to you know spend too much time talking about kind of what the new Year's special is going to be. But um, I do think with three three specials left, and there's a lot that they. You know they do wrap up a lot in this episode but there's still characters that are kind of like still hanging around like are they important are they not is you know jody Whitaker only has essentially three more episodes to go so it's like do we want to see to back do we want to see bell and Vinder? like is there more mystery to who they are or what their baby is than has already been revealed or are they just kind of random characters and it doesn't matter um we already know that the next the special that's New Year's Eve is going to be just a Dalek central or centric story that, based on the trailer, looks pretty contained. Uh, you know, they meet a couple new characters. They're in. It seems like they're trapped in this time loop. I don't think that's going to be a Carbonista bell Bellvinder episode. Um, so that's eliminate that one. Then we're down to two. So. I don't know how much connection there's going to be with the flux stuff to the three specials. I'm kind of thinking maybe there's not going to be a ton of connection.
0: I think the, the only connection that I would venture is that in some of the promo images that they have um, just announcing the special for new year's day, the TARDIS looks pretty broken. So I don't know if there's still going to be like some lingering impact. I mean, towards the beginning of the series, we saw the TARDIS, wacky door situations black goop like the TARDIS seemed like it was breaking and then towards the end it looks like it might be better but we don't know whether that's fully resolved and then to have the TARDIS once again at least in promo images have like a cracked exterior and light escaping from the from the walls of the TARDIS I'm wondering if there are going to be some continuing things that connect to the to what has just happened but I, I agree. Based on what we see as far as the characters location and um, it does seem like it's contained, at least in those regards.
1: Right. The universe is still in shambles.
0: So we would, think
1: <laughs> I, I think like I mean it would have been as simple as time, you know, telling the doctor, you know, she restored her, you know, to be you know, put her three parts back together. Uh, yeah, you know, she could have said, I restore you and your universe, you know, like there could have been some kind of line where they just, that magical fix, like we talked about, but it sounds like, um, you know, earth is, earth is fine. And, you know, there's probably other Atropos is still, you know, not destroyed yet. There's probably other places as well, but, um, they didn't really reference there being any kind of fix to the rest of the universe that had already been kind of destroyed. So, uh, you would think there would be some maybe carryover with that, that the doctor would mention it, or maybe there's going to be a plan to try to do something about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, that that is one of those things that's left kind of hanging. And I've seen quite a few questions asked about it. Like, what what's the state of the rest of the universe? Um, we know that quite a lot of the inhabitants vaporized, right? And then what weren't vaporized by the flux itself, Swarm and Azure did a pretty... Uh, Hefty cleanup job on everybody that remained. Um, Carvanista Bell and vendor, they seem to be having the possibility of going on a goodwill mission, help it out, cleaning things up. But yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it,
1: as simple as it is. Maybe they don't, they don't fix it. I mean, what do we know of our universe? Like earth and our solar system, as long as that's intact, what we know as our reality on earth isn't impacted you know the entirety of the rest of the universe could get whatever could happen to it we would never even know and so maybe that's going to be it like the doc the, a lot of the universe has been destroyed but there's still what we know is still fine and the doctor is just going to be like all right well let's go help some people that were affected by this but we're not going to fix everything because it's just impossible
0: right that, that would be that would definitely be interesting because it's like any adventures on earth fine nothing much has changed any adventures outside of the earth and it would be interesting if it just turned into like doctor helping or if the flux is continually referenced moving forward because the universe has been destroyed so they are jumping to half planets and three-quarter moons and all, all the other broken apart places and the doctor has adventures and those types of situations um
1: yeah, yeah, I don't know. And she's a time traveler, so she can just make sure she travels to times that <laughs> were before the flux. <laughs> there you go. Like I don't there ever want go. to see that again. So let's let's stay away from that time. <laughs> uh, and I did think it was interesting that Carvinista was pretty broken up about the doctor just leaving him behind, and then she once again just leaves him behind.
0: Yeah, he like, he he put he put an active effort to put the entire universe between them. I think he's trying to uh, remove the temptation of possibly. Poisoning his entire brain um, by That's being true, close yeah. to the
1: doctor. That's true. Uh, I did think about what that would. It, the idea of the doctor having a lumpari companion is kind of comical, because when the doctor is traveling, you know, to all these different times, we see the doctor like goes back to you know Victorian era England. <laughs> you know, and like it's like a big deal if she's walking with a person of color. But now it's like, what if she's walking down the road with a walking dog? You know, that's a whole different right. thing. So so when he was the companion, she probably limited her travels to only alien planets, I'm assuming.
0: Yeah, or anywhere there was a sideshow and it could just be like the, the wolf boy.
1: <laughs> right. So maybe he was just a very short-lived companion. But, um, yeah. So, all right, man. Well, that's a that's a lot to talk about, but. I guess we didn't really say it. we said we were going to say if they stuck the landing or not. I guess we probably should say it. I don't know. And this
0: did... is where the episode ends. Can yeah, right, that, like, y'all. <laughs>
1: we're gonna leave it. We're gonna leave you hanging and then not resolve it uh, or resolve it instantly in the next episode. But I don't know. I'm kind of like half. I feel like the more I've talked about it, the more I feel like they kind of stuck the landing. But definitely after my first viewing of it, I did not feel like they stuck the landing. I just felt like there was too much. Too much that didn't make a lot of sense, and I and I honestly, I think ultimately they just had they they had too many elements that they tried to fit into this, and I think that if they had removed some of that stuff, like maybe with Die or even Bell and Vender, as much as I like those characters, it just felt like there were all these extra things added that didn't really impact the main storyline, and so I would have rather it been a little cleaner but it was overall a really fun six episodes and the ending i guess was fitting for what we got uh but wasn't as satisfying as i had hoped they didn't like See, completely I... stumble on the landing but they maybe like you know they had one of those landings where they did a couple hops you know they didn't get a perfect score
0: right and i think i think what you said as far as satisfying i think that's the key thing for me at least like i feel like we finally got a um, we got to focus on the doctor where I feel like that's been lacking the previous two series. Like we had this, these great moments with the doctor. Um, We we definitely had some very high points throughout the entire series, really enjoyable episodes. (laughs) I mean, up until, up until episode five, right? We were, Like I was fascinated by the story. I was enjoying as much of the, or a lot of the stuff that they were just filling the episodes with. It wasn't until episode five that I was like, oh dang, this is a lot. I'm not sure what's going to happen here or how they can resolve this. At the end of episode six, I think they stuck the landing, right? Like they resolved a whole heck of a lot of the things that we were wondering, how are they going to resolve this? They stuck the landing whether we're satisfied with what that landing looked like i think that's another story right it's there were there were too many there were too many cotton candy moments at the end where it was like oh yeah cool and then after a little bit you're like oh wait i kind of wanted more than just that sweetness at that moment in time so i do feel like you know what they they did stick the landing um but I don't know if I'm necessarily satisfied with all the ways (laughs) that they concluded all the different things that were going on. Um, (laughs) spot on a lot of characters, a lot of things that probably didn't need to take place. You mentioned vendor and bell as much as you loved them. I would even go as far as to say, uh, Prentice, like, I'm not sure he necessarily needed to be in the story. Um, And then, even the fact that,
1: even honestly, like as good as the Weeping Angels episode was, it really didn't make a whole lot of sense that the Weeping Angels would have to be involved in all this.
0: No, no, I think
1: that episode was purely written to have Weeping Angels as part of the season because they're cool. Yeah, but the fact that they like work for the division and they're the transport that they needed to get the Doctor there, like that, it seemed very contrived and absolutely was not needed. And I think we had said pre-show. Like this could have been a three part, if you just take out all the fluff and just focus on the main storyline with like Swarm and Azure and Time and even the Division, and have that kind of be the main story. Like this could have been a three part special, right? Yeah, and not a a full season. Uh, So it it does it does feel like that because they tried to make it a full season and six episodes. You know, you throw in the Weeping Angels episode, you throw in. You know, the uh, you know, the Centauran episode with the you know, them going into the past and meeting historical characters and stuff like that. You throw that stuff in or Vinder and and even die, like some of the stuff that just wasn't needed, you cut the fat and you have a real clean three episodes. But when you have to extend it to six, that's when you get all this extra stuff. And you know, there's good elements in all of it. So I, I enjoyed the experiment of them doing a six episode series. Uh, but ultimately it felt like there was just too many ingredients in the mix. And, you know, I like how you tried to make it, you, you said they stuck the landing, but they didn't really stick the landing is kind of what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> they, I mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, ultimately they stuck the landing. It just wasn't satisfying. I, but here's the thing, Aaron, like, here's what I keep going back to. I didn't really care until the end of the fifth episode. Like I was having a fantastic time with everything. Until the fifth episode came to the end, and it was like, oh shoot, like now what are we gonna do? So yeah, there's something to be said for that—that that the fact that like up until the ending of the fifth episode, it was a fantastic series. Like I know people have given different episodes mixed reviews. Some people didn't like the fact that it was jumping around so much. I loved it until it hit me that oh crap, we have to resolve all of this, and then that's where I started to be like, oh man, I don't I don't know about this. It the experiment worked well enough that I think I'd want to try it again. Like I think I'd want to try another six episode arc and see what would happen if we did this one more time.
1: Yeah, and like you had said, I think in a previous episode that it almost felt like this for the amount of things that they introduced, you needed more than six episodes. So you know, it's like if you knew if you got to the end of episode five and you knew there were three more episodes to resolve everything, you would have felt fine. But when you knew there was only one episode left to resolve it, that's when you're starting to panic. Right. And I think that's kind of where you could – I agree with you in that it could go either way. You either have a longer season and resolve more things and make all that stuff make sense, like make the the Vinder Bell stuff make a little bit more sense. Why did they matter? You know, have Die have a bigger role. You maybe have a whole episode that focuses on Dan and Die or something that, you know – Flesh it out more so it makes more sense that you did have all these ingredients and make it a 10-episode series. Or cut out all that stuff and only focus on the important stuff and make it a three-episode series. But they kind of tried to do – they met in the middle and it just didn't quite seem to work. Um, But in the end, I really, really enjoyed this season. I thought it was some of the best performances we've gotten from certain characters. Oh, absolutely. yes the Doctor – some of the best, I would say, for the most part, all the main guest stars were great. Yeah. Um. So, you know, across the board, it was it was fun, and I just think, in the end, some of the story elements didn't work for me, and I, I didn't think that they, I don't think they did it justice to to some of the stuff that they introduced and you know some of the stuff that it seemed to be leading to, but I don't know, it just in the end. I'd still give it a positive grade for the season. Is I had a great time with it, but it was, the the final episode was a bit lacking.
0: Well, I say we let this one simmer then, and we'll have to come back and do a a, a look back. I don't know if we want to do it after after just these six or if, are we gonna wrap up like the last three uh specials along with these six and then go back and rank all of them i don't know how we're going to do it but i do feel like we need to before we pass judgment on the entire series as a whole and go through rankings and such we probably should just let this one simmer for a little bit
1: yeah and we will probably you know we'll definitely review the the new year's eve special because that's you know soon and then i don't think we know when the next two are so it sounds like the next one would be sometime in the spring so we'll have a pretty big gap so maybe Maybe sometime in that gap between the New Year's Eve special and the the spring special, we'll do some. We'll do a, a season recap uh, and get and do do our our traditional rankings. Yes, that I know everybody loves. <laughs> <laughs> the one episode everybody skips. <laughs> well, we know we know at least one listener that skips it. Uh, but no, it's uh, it'll be fun. But yeah, I think we've we've exhausted this one because I'm ready to go to bed. All right, well, thank you everyone for listening for this entire episode and uh, listening to us ramble on about Doctor Who. Um, If you want to find any of our other episodes, you can find them on Apple Podcasts. You can also find them on a number of other podcatchers. And if you'd like to, you can even leave us a review. Uh, You can also find our episodes on our website. And until next time...
0: I've been with you the whole time.
1: Oh, yeah, that's, two hours <laughs> That's all that's all I got.
0: Oh man.
1: I've been with you the whole time. What was that one? Like? Uh, it's when she's uh,
0: when Swarm and Azure are trying to figure out what the heck she's been up to and she's like, I've been with you the whole time. Well, most of the yeah. So oh. however you wanted to take or so so however.